Check out the Live by Live app and livebylive.com for the best podcast, news you care about, and personalized music stations curated by actual human beings. Anybody can make a playlist, but Live by Live has a massive team of curators and hosts that serve up the music you love and help you discover new favorites for only $3.99 a month. Try Live by Live today with a free seven-day trial at livebylive.com. That's livexlive.com forward slash Drew. Well, here we are on lockdown. How are you? It's Booker of the Perez Hilton Podcast with Chris Booker. We get it. We know you're bored. We're still doing shows. We're keeping you up to date with everything entertainment. A little bit of relief from everything that's going on in the world. You could get the show on Spotify. You could get it on your Apple Podcasts or the Podcast One app. Whatever you do, download and subscribe and get the PHP, the Perez Hilton Podcast with Chris Booker. And everything that's entertainment will be covered. Hey everyone, welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Uh, really enjoy these podcasts lately. We've had some great guests, and I hope they've uh, enlightened you all. We're sort of, I don't know, trans- we're moving across some interesting territory in this podcast, and we're going to expand out even further coming up on future podcasts. Today is no exception. And a reminder to keep uh, wins in the sale of the Corolla Pirate Ship. We appreciate you uh, supporting the people that support us. We can keep doing this thing. Today, my guest is David Hanscom. Oh, one more thing before I bring, bring in Dr. Hanscom. My daughter and I have a new book out called It Doesn't Have to Be Awkward. We appreciate you guys picking it up. It's designed for sort of 12 to 20-year-olds. Uh, it's about navigating healthy relationships and uh, con- consent. Uh, it's, you know, it, 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 the awkward uh, reference is, of course, about having the talk with your parents. This book is designed for parents as well in terms of helping them talk to their uh, adolescent children. But we get into much, much, much more than that. The, the, the talk material is all out there in many, many other books. We talk about really how to manage quality relationships. That's really sort of our thing in the book. And we teach you something called TCB. You'll have to read the book to, uh, to, to understand what that is. And it is wherever you get your books, Amazon and whatnot. Speaking of book, Dr. Hanscom, Hanscom's book is Back in Control, A Spine Surgeon's Roadmap Out of Chronic Pain, released in 2016. Also, the book is Do You Really Need Spine Surgery? Take Control with a Surgeon's Advice. That's the more recent book, released October 2019. You can uh, find Dr. Hanscom's material at DOCJourney.com. Also, follow him on Twitter at DR. I believe that says the DOCJourney.com. I beg your pardon, the DOCJourney.com. You're absolutely correct. Uh, it's funny how I just left off the article. Uh, and uh, at DR, Dr. David Hanscom, H A N S C O M, and Instagram at the DOCJourney. Dr. Hanscom, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. So I, I think maybe we should start with the book. Uh, what do you want people to learn from the Take Control book? Do you really need spine surgery? Well, probably 70% of spine surgery um, should not be done. And the downside of a failed spine surgery is just devastating, as you probably know. You, you're, you're internal medicine, correct, in, a, in addiction? Correct. And and I do not allow my patients to uh, allow is obviously a relative term, but I would lie on the table on top of the patient when it comes to back surgeries unless there is irreversible progressive motor problems. I, right. I, that, that is my thing. I've been saying that for 20 years. And I spent 20 years undoing the catastrophe of the multiple surgeries and opioids that follow a given surgery for pain that shouldn't have been done in the first place. Correct. And so it compelled me to, you know, I actually quit my surgical practice to do this in 2019 
So it's at the peak of my career, we're having great results. I learned how to rehab patients before surgery to optimize outcome. So my percentage of successes went up over the time because I just started to follow the data, which you know very well about dealing with anxiety, depression, sleep, pain medications, exercise, diet before we did surgery. And I had over 100 surgical patients with severely pinched nerves, spinal stenosis, neurogenic claudication, cancel the surgery because the pain disappeared. Yeah. So I'm watching that take place. And I, I actually put myself out of business. At the end of my practice, I was operating on less than 5% of my patients. So when it came to elective surgery, when we did the surgery, the results were just spectacular. So I enjoyed what I was doing, but I started to see three to five patients every week being conservative. They were having major surgeries being done that were destroying their lives mm-hmm. every week. Mm-hmm. And then as you probably have seen the last 10 years, particularly, instead of doing one and two level fusions for back pain that don't work, we're now doing eight, 10, 12, 14 level fusions that not only don't work, is there's a 70% complication rate and people really become severely damaged with these deformity surgeries that don't work. And there's no data. There's no data that says disc degeneration is a cause of pain. Yet we're at $20 billion a year of surgery for back pain. There is zero data showing that scoliosis causes back pain. And these major surgical decisions are being made on the first visit, as you well know. So I just ran across a kid my last year in practice who was 30 years old. He had a spondylo that was stable, did not need surgery, had only back pain. They decided to do a pretty complex operation on him and paralyzed him. And I just said, that's it. I can't do this anymore. And so I quit. And so I was saying retired. I'm spending eight, 10 hours a day trying to get this message out there is that please, please don't do spine surgery unless you absolutely need it, just like exactly like you said. It's one of the reasons I stopped running a addiction recovery program is majority of our patients were back surgery patients strung out on opiates who I would take off the opiates whose pain would go away completely. And six right. months later, the pain management team would put them back on opiates and within within the next three months, they'd be dead. It, yep. Because they would put them not just on benzodiazepines, not just on opioids, but because the opioids cause chronic headaches and chronic back pain and sleeplessness and irritability and chronic withdrawal, and they put them on a benzodiazepine and then they're dead. Uh, and it's unbelievable. It's just um, it's just astonishing to me. Now, now the pain management world was finally held accountable. Uh, they they just if you you were must have been practicing when this all happened. I I, I remember it so vividly when we were in the the sort of late 80s and early 1990s that the pain management world became evangelical and then the attorneys got involved and the patient societies got involved and the attorneys started putting physicians in jail for inadequate treatment of pain, not malpractice, patient abuse, and we all froze in place and sent all pain to pain management who took their evangelical world to the next level and we know what happened. Right. Remember that? In fact, I felt, yeah, I was one of those people who put people on opioids because I was, that's where we you know, they had the pain, what was the pain evaluation score? That's, so, yeah, yeah, we were. Pain is the to, fifth vital sign. I don't right, care right, what that, his pulse is. I don't care if he's not right. breathing. What's his pain scale? What's the pain right. scale? That's, that is the level of insanity we got to. Yep. That was the middle of my career. Absolutely. Me too. It was terrible. And, and that wasn't ortho or neurosurgery's problem. That was that was attorneys, well-meaning patient advocacy, advocacy groups, hospital associations, finally medical societies, and, and 
pain management, the pain management world, and, and the rest of us freezing. So now they took it the other direction. They put doctors in jail for overprescribing. We froze again and stopped yep. prescribing opiates altogether. Maybe we've right. even gone too far that direction. But anyway, right. that's that's a different topic. Um, but, 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 wanna, but here's my, go ahead. But here's my message here. So I wrote this book. Do you really need spine surgery? And it's geared towards patients, but also primary care, um, also allied health professionals, chiropractors, physical therapists, et cetera, because my goal is, is to make surgeons accountable, which they're hard to make them accountable. And surgeons are not bad people, but we're just trained to do surgery. But we're actually physicians, not technicians. Yeah. And so the surgical the book's a quick read. It's quicker than my other book, Back in Control. So it breaks the decision down to do surgery into two variables. One is, what's the anatomy? Is it even amenable for surgery? And the second one, what's the state of your nervous system? Because if it's hyperactive and hypervigilant, it's easy to stimulate it. And the data shows that if you operate in the presence of untreated chronic pain, which is a neurological issue, you can actually increase the pain or make it worse or cause chronic pain 40 to 60% of the time. Of course. Of course. I did not know that data until a couple of years ago. Well, when you say what's the state of the nervous system, do, do you know, can you be more specific? Because I, I have a very specific way of thinking about that category. I, I don't think about I think we're talking about the same thing, but t- tell me what your anatomical or neurobiological process is that that is under that rubric of what state is the nervous system in? Well, let me use an example that you're well familiar with. Um, I think your audience is probably familiar with the ACE scores, mm-hmm. adverse childhood experiences. Oh, yeah. And so if you're raised in an abusive background, remember every second right now is programmed by your entire life up to this very second about what's safe and not safe. So if you're raised in an abusive environment or have ongoing abuse, et cetera, you're hyper alert. It takes less stress to set off this fight or flight response. So what happens if you're raised in abusive childhood, the metaphor I like to use is that of a feral cat raised in the wild compared to a domestic cat is that every wild animal, but a feral cat's a good example, has to be hypervigilant. There's no rewards in nature for not being vigilant. So if you're raised in that dangerous environment as a kid, not feeling safe and nurtured, that feral cat is hard to get close to, and it's hard to tame that thing down. So that nervous system is on high alert all the time. Whereas my domestic cat is spoiled as can be, mm-hmm. and she gets threatened and she reacts, but she's not on high alert. So if you're a person who's under a lot of personal stress or in an abusive environment or societal stress like poverty, lack of opportunity, racism, authoritarianism, et cetera, all those things keep you on high alert. So then when you do have additional stress, then your body goes into fight or flight physiology pretty quickly. And then when your fight or flight physiology is sustained, people get sick. So that's why these ACE scores are so deadly to people's health, because your body is under a sustained fight or flight state. It increases your immune system, inflammatory response. It increases your metabolism, starts to tune up the fuel for energy. And if you think about this logically, you actually cannot heal when you're in fight or flight because you're using resources to survive but you have to be either neutral or probably in safety in order to actually heal and regenerate. I don't disagree with any of that. I think that's an interesting way of uh, – an accurate way of constructing this. I, I have another layer I like to put on this. I, I think you're Stephen Porges's friend too, right? It's Porges? Correct. Yeah. So so Porges and Shore and Fonda, these are my – these are my uh, – Gospels. These are these are the these are my the guys I, I look very much up to and have for many years. And Shore and Fonagy have a couple of mechanisms that put another 
layer on this as the ACE scores become higher and the level of trauma becomes more severe, which is the issue of uh, the parasympathetic nervous system and dissociation. Right. And the parasympathetic nervous system is associated with the information coming out of the body and getting to a part of the brain called the insula cortex. And and I really believe the insula is way more involved in all this than we know. Bud Craig wrote a book called How We Feel or How Do You Feel, it's called. And it's an extraordinary book. Have you read that book? I have not. It's extraordinary. I recommend it okay. most strongly. It, he he really breaks down the information that we have about the lateral spinal thalamic tract, the uh, autonomic system and its inputs into – turns out we have homunculi in our – insular cortex, much the way we do on our sensory cortices. And okay. these, these homunculi go from anterior to posterior. They go from vague to more vivid. And they are sort of landscapes of the information, feeling information, holistic information coming out of the body. Not really the somatic information. It's sort of more the valence of information coming out of the body. So the insular cortex is sort of the – I like to think of it as the misery component of pain. Or the, right. a, or the affective component of pain, right? Feelings right. come out of the body. They generate affects. They're registered in the insular cortex. And to, to some extent, that's what's – there's some data out of Stanford that show that that's what's going crazy, that region, particularly the anterior insular cortex, during chronic pain. Uh, right. and, and it's also associated with hypervigilance, like you're saying, too. The body remembers the score is what uh, Dr. Vanderkoek tells us. Right. Um, and – uh, there, and the, there's one other little mechanism, which is uh, Dr. Shore's mechanism, which he calls somatoform dissociation, that when the body is a source of distress in early life, we cut off from it. At least we cut off the regulation and the sort of integrated ability to respond to the body. And so what comes out of the body is disorganized and overwhelming. And that's thus the, again, the sympathetic and parasympathetic activation. Does that make sense to you? Does that fit with your understanding too? Well, um, I don't know if you know my story very well, but you know, I had 15 years of chronic pain, mm. which I think most physicians would call severe burnout. And I went from a fearless spine surgeon, and my my life, my attitude in life was bring it on. So I was a very complex spine surgeon. I trained at a top fellowship, and you cannot give me enough stress. I thrived on stress. But in at age 37, I ended up with a panic attack. Mm. And so what happens is that um, I 100% agree with everything you just said. But I became dysregulated. So what I did, I had dissociated from my past. I suppressed everything. Right, right. dissociation. And yeah. when it exploded, it yeah. was brutal. So yeah. I spent 15 years with 17 different symptoms that I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. No idea. Yeah. Trauma, man. Trauma is a, right. Trauma is the source of so much. But keep going. Right. Tell us more. Well, so what – I'm going to jump way to the end of the story here. So I'm starting a movement – called dynamic healing. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but I'll just say it anyway. So you you have your circumstances or stresses that are, are your life and they keep coming at us. Then you have the state of your nervous system, which could be calm or hyperreactive. Then you have the state of your body's physiology, either safety or threat. And of course, in between is homeostasis. So when your circumstances or stresses overwhelm your coping skills, you go into flight or flight physiology, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So what we've learned, and this is why I quit my practice, is that there's three different areas of interventions, and they all have to be dealt with intermittently at the same time. Is you, you have your input or your stresses, you have the state of your nervous system, and you have your body's physiology. So you call it the input, the nervous system, and the output. 
So what dynamic healing says is that, look, you can help people process stress differently. So it's less of an impact your nervous system. You can increase the resiliency of the nervous system with sleep, exercise, diet, and trauma work. You can directly regulate the body's physiology through the concept that Steve Portis talks about with breath work, music, et cetera. So you have three different interventions actually calm down the nervous system and the pain actually disappears. Yes. As your inflammatory markers drop, nerve conduction slows down, your brain becomes less sensitized, the pain actually disappears. So one of my big messages is in medicine right now, what we call mainstream medicine is treating just the symptoms where the root cause is this interaction between the circumstances and the person. And of course the business of medicine has kidnapped us, all of us. We can't talk to our patients. And as you well know, listening is actually in and of itself a healing modality. And if a patient doesn't feel heard, they don't feel safe. And so what happens, you quick visit, Medicine's focused on structural causes of pain, where probably 85 to 90% of symptoms are generated by the body's physiology, right? Yep. And so there's a term, have you heard the term yet called medically unexplained symptoms? Medically unexplained symptoms? Uh Uh-huh. Not per se, but I know what you're talking about, of course. Right. So it started in 2002. Somebody coined the term MUS, medically unexplained symptoms. And it's a deadly diagnosis for many of my patients because- what the doctors are saying that we have a diagnosis for you now, which means we know you're suffering, we know you're hurting, we don't know the cause, and have a good life. Yeah. But what it does, it takes away hope. And there's a paper by Dr. Danzer out of Austin, Texas, that reviews the social factors that create inflammatory markers, and optimism and hope are actually anti-inflammatory. So when you take away hope, you're actually causing an inflammatory response. Mm-hmm. So... What I don't understand, and you can maybe, I don't want to rant too much today because to me, it seems like high school health class where if you're threatened, your body responds with heart rate, et cetera. So we all know what fight or flight is. And this is in high school, we learned about fight or flight response and response to stress, right? Mm -hmm. So in medical school, we know a tremendous amount about the human body. And somehow that reaction is completely overlooked. So it's really not a mystery why people get symptoms if the body, so metabolism is elevated, inflammatory markers are up, et cetera. There's no question why the symptoms occur. Why we came up with this diagnosis of, of medical symptoms is a disaster. And as you know, it's worse in the surgical world because if we can't see it on a test, we draw people off to a psychologist. It's actually a physiological problem, not psychological. I, sort physiology- of, I, I didn't realize that, that medically unexplained symptoms were punted that way. I mean, when I, whenever, you know, I sort of, my job is always to make sure there's not a medical explanation. And when there is not, I immediately start talking about childhood trauma. That, that's immediately what I, what I go to. And I right. start explaining these issues that we're talking about and talk about treatment because there are right. treatments. There are absolutely right. treatments for this and they do get better. But as you know, the treatments are not covered by insurance. Well, that's right? what I was going to say. The, 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 what we have done to medicine is just a travesty, and the, and the pandemic has made it even worse, I would say. It's right. just we, we have taken the care out of caring. Uh, right. and, and that frame, just the – I mean, all of psychiatry was built on that frame, and, and we've just right. eviscerated the frame. Paraprofessionals are picking it up, right? That's why right. there's this flourishing of all these other crazy disciplines that have no relationship to anything really meaningful in medicine but do the caretaking – and people get better. That's why they love them. Right. 
But if you're treating just symptoms, it's like trying to put an oil well yeah. fire out yeah. with a garden of course, hose. Of course. So it's exciting to me, and like what you've also seen is that if you there's so trauma work, of course, intervenes at the nervous system approach to calm it down. Do you know um, there's a Dr. Navio out of San Diego that's actually taken 13 chronic diseases, both mental and physical, mm. and broken it down to mitochondrial dysfunction. Mm. Interesting. And so what's happening is that it turns out that chronic mental disease and chronic physical disease are, have the same problem. In other words, it's inflammatory. Yeah. And so anxiety, depression, OCD, bipolar, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, cardiac disease, peripheral vascular disease, hypertension, and obesity are all chronic inflammatory disorders. It, it, it's it's interesting. I used to push off uh, an, that inflammatory sort of uh, diathesis or, or notion, and and now I've embraced it wholeheartedly. However, right. however, I'm going to say that when we we don't we we know what we're talking about, we don't fully understand it yet, and when Correct. we do, it's going to be a lot of really interesting mechanisms. And I think a lot of it is going to be in the endothelium uh, and the endothelium's interaction with the immune system and the lipid system. Right. A- and there is a, a lot of ink being spilled now on the sigma-1 system in the brain, which is an anti-inflammatory system. And right. lo and behold, medicines like fluvoxamine and Prozac one of their main mechanisms is who knew sigma one activation, you know, right? And so right. that may be part or a big part of their antidepressant properties. Who knows? But I, I think it's going to be a pretty complicated, multi multi layered kind of thing once we fully come to and, and mitochondrial function and oxygen. There's going to be a lot of things involved once we once we fully understand it. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's as you know, as Stephen Portis. Um, you know, what I'm embarrassed about now is that he's the one that taught me or reminded me about cytokines and the immune system, yep. and that's a part of the threat response. Yep. And one of my rheumatology friends told me 30 years ago, this is all inflammatory. I go, what are you talking about? I mean, I really totally blew this off to about two years ago. Yeah. And, you know, in, inflammatory. But my other friend, who's sort of a genius, and you would love to have him on your show, Dr. David Clausen. Write that down, Gary. He's he's a physiatrist in Seattle, and he, Steve Portis, Sue Carter, and a few other people on this roundtable that we have a couple times a month are geniuses. And DR has a neck of taking cell biology, genetics, biochemistry from high school and college and putting it into clinical practice. And the stuff he's come up with to integrate this is unbelievable. So he's between he and Steve Portis and Sue Carter. Um, we just have a very integrated approach about how this chronic disease works now. And the essence of the problem is sustained exposure to threat. And the essence of the solution is learning how to create safety. Mm-hmm. And those are just their techniques. Mm-hmm. And it's not mind over matter because the unconscious brain is hardwired and very strong compared to the conscious brain. Mm-hmm. But there's ways of stimul- stimulating the vagus nerve to do decrease inflammation. Oxytocin with social bonding, we have found out that social bonding and community is a major factor in decreasing chronic pain, lack of it causing chronic pain. And as Sue Carter, Steve Portis's wife, that's taught us that oxytocin is powerfully anti-inflammatory, which I had no idea. You know, I, I'm just I'm listing the candidate systems for this the inflammation. I've never really thought about this as, as clearly as I'm thinking about it right now. 
I just listed as you were talking the the candidate systems in that we believe I think you would believe too are involved in this inflammatory response. Let me just list them: cytokines, cytokine activation, sigma one, right. endothelial function, lipid metabolism, immune function, which is a giant category, mitochondrial right. function, NAD metabolism, autonomic function, oxytocin, cortisol, other hormones, O2 delivery. I mean, it just goes it's, – it's a huge landscape, and that's just me off the top of my head, right? Right. Well, let me tell you one other thing also that Dr. Clausen um, – I, I know I'm trying to oversell this guy, but I mean he's – he just well, I'll is talk to him. I'll talk to him. I'll talk to him. Fascinating guy. Anyway, he, he's pointing out – I've already emailed actually, him. Oh, it's already emailed out. The email's out. The request is out. That's so hysterical. what's happening is what DR saw. He doesn't quit thinking out of the box. He just yeah. keeps stopping and thinking about things. But what he's also pointed out that with like – let's take – disc degeneration and osteoarthritis, et cetera. Yeah. His point is cortisol is a stress response chemical, but it's basically providing fuel for mm-hmm. fight or flight. Mm-hmm. So it can be both anti-inflammatory and inflammatory. Yeah. But if you're in a sustained threat, your cortisol is robbing cells of fuel, including the glycoproteins and tendons and ligaments. It's robbing fuel from the brain, the neurons in the brain and the glial cells. And so it turns out that a huge part of this issue that, that we got enamored with the inflammatory conversation for about nine months, then DR brought up the metabolism. And like you just pointed out, metabolism, elevated metabolism for a long, a long period of time, that fuel has to come from somewhere. And going back to early in the conversation, you can't heal if you're in fight or flight because you're actually catabolizing or robbing your tissues of fuel. You're not regenerating. You right. can't do it. Right. That's right. So I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right about the multiple factors that play into this. But here's the thing that I'll just sound a little ridiculous here in a way. But I mean, the solution is actually sort of simple. And what we found out is that there there are techniques. You can't do it mind over matter. But there are techniques to regulate your body's physiology. Yes. You have control of that. You feel safe. Yeah. So the bottom line is you teach people tools to feel safe versus ongoing threat. You can increase the resiliency of the nervous system. And the reason why I mentioned Dr. Navio of San Diego and the mitochondria, and again, another incredibly fascinating human being, is that he's a physician. He's also an internist. But he spent his entire life looking at the mitochondria. And I don't know how they figured this stuff out in the mitochondria level, which are pretty small organelles. But his point was is that when it comes to regeneration, he puts a picture up of a house that's just burned down. And he points out you, you can't rebuild that house with the burned down timbers. And with trauma work, you can't really fix trauma, but you sort of have to rebuild the nervous system. Mm-hmm. And so it, that was a metaphor that really stuck with us. And then again, he goes right down to the mitochondrial dysfunction and function. And then part of his process was, um, I guess when the cells, he calls it a cell death response. There's three parts to it, one, two, and three. But in the cell death response, the ATP or the energy supply to the cells, ADP to ATP, as you know, goes extracellular. And when ATP is extracellular, it's inflammatory, which mm. I, I had no idea. I didn't know that. So it's another um, mechanism, yet another another, another thing to add to my list. Another <laughs> mechanism, yeah, right. So, but, and I want to mention one more person. Just add a little bit more layers to this. Also, there's a, have you heard of Dr. Stephen Cole out of UCLA by chance? No. So he talked to our group. And by the way, we'd love to have you join our group. Sure. Um, every twice a month, the first and third, third Wednesdays of the month, we have a scientific group, mostly spearheaded by Steve Porter, Sue Carter, myself, and D.R. Clausen. 
we have about only over 30 to 50 people per session, and we, we hear different lectures. Anyway, Steve Cole was one of the lecturers out of UCLA, and he works with the Naomi Eisenberger, and they're looking at the social determinants of genomic expression. And what they found out is that the number one factor that determines inflammation is social isolation. Mm. And what happens is that they have, I don't know how they do this exactly, but there's a type of monocyte or white blood cell that that they call warrior monocytes. Mm -hmm. And it's like a puppy compared to an adult dog is that they still function and destroy bacteria and viruses, but they also destroy normal tissues. So it's that social isolation that actually causes the production of these warrior monocytes, but it works at the genetic level. He, he really goes right into the genetic code Interesting. and shows how the social determinants are expressed through the genetic code. Another again, mechanism. <laughs> another mechanism. But smoking cessation is tough and nothing, there's nothing better you can do for your health. If you are a smoker, smoking should be your number one two and three priority i've been working on this my entire career it's hard especially if you started smoking at a young age now i want to tell you about a new product called fume that is the number one natural way to quit smoking people are having some success with it it replaces the hand-to-mouth behavior it's a plant pack core study to curb cravings and taste and smells great no smoke no vape no nicotine design that people dig Flavors that taste great and curb cravings, ease stress, and improve breathing. Of course, because you're not smoking anymore. Go to Breathe Fume, B-R-E-A-T-H-E-F-U-M. Again, that is B-R-E-A-T-H-E-F-U-M.com slash Drew. Use the code Drew to save 10% on your order today. Again, one fume plus four pack of core studied to curb cravings and get you on the path to recovery from nicotine and smoke. It Nothing can be more important for your health. I'll tell you one more time. Breathe Fume, B-R-E-A-T-H-E-F-U-M dot com slash Drew. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And I think, you know, you know, I've talked about this before. I've referred patients. I refer family. I've been very pleased with the professionals and the services they provide. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It is not self-help, professional therapy done securely. Broad ranges of expertise, service available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime, send a message to your therapist, and you will get timely, thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. There's none of that uncomfortable passing people in the waiting room, or even if you're uncomfortable face-to-face in the doctor's office, BetterHelp can connect you via electronic media. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, and it's more affordable than traditional offline therapy. Financial aid is also available. BetterHelp wants you to start living happier today. Visit the website, betterhelp.com slash Drew. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp. They are recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. Again, our special offer for the Dr. Drew Podcast listeners is to get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Drew. And of course, you've heard me talk about the AMCN emergency medical flight. Even with comprehensive coverage, you can get hit with copays and deductibles. Protect your family, protect your finances with an Air MedCare Network membership. As a member of AMCN, if an emergency arises, the expense of air medical transportation is covered when flown by an AMCN provider completely. Membership costs as little as $85 a year, covers your entire household every day, even when you are away from home. That's pennies a day. 
We all know things can happen, of course, and AMCN membership is protection like no family should be without. For a limited time, as a Dr. Drew podcast listeners, you will get up to a $50 e-gift card when you join. Simply visit airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash Drew and use the offer code Drew. The monocytes are figuring large into the long-haul COVID, too. Right. Uh, which is a chronic inflammatory condition, we think, but virally mediated as opposed to genetically. Interesting. So Dr. Clausen, I'll give him 80% of the credit in this. He and I put together a paper that we're going to put finish this weekend and submit on long haulers. And it goes through this whole detailed explanation of really long haulers is sustained levels of inflammatory cytokines. So you okay. have pre-existing and, and the mon- he, I hope he put some monocyte stuff in there too because there's this whole phenomenon of um, classical monocytes showing up with viral particles in the central nervous system, and maybe right. sort of mediating some of the stuff. By, by the way, before I'm going to interrupt you, Gary, s- send an email to Dr. Hanscom with my email so you can send me that paper as soon as it comes out, please. And number right. one and number two, uh, send to Dr. Hanscom. Bud Craig, how do you feel? That book. Bud Craig, okay. how do you feel? Thank right, you. So you'll get that email much. and I'll get yours. Uh, and finish up. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Cytokines and long hauler. Well, I mean, again, so what long haulers in, as you know, what I, I think we both think I this is that so did I. Yeah. I, I've had COVID also myself, yeah. but um, it's, it's the, I mean, whether it's chronic fatigue, um, yeah. long haulers, yep. Lyme's chronic pain, yep. all these chronic diseases are the same sustained exposure to threat. 100 agree, 100% agree. And then when you add on the additional trauma or stress of COVID, which is a big deal, yeah. then you have the, remember you have the pre-existing conditions that allowed them to get sick in the first place. So we wrote three papers on COVID, by the way. One is called Plan A. In other words, the, the topic of the paper is really lowering inflammation lengthens life. There's 12 categories of things you can do that lower infl- inflammation, which, by the way, is the same formula for solving chronic pain. So going way back in our conversation. Is that in your book? It, well, the, what's happened, I've developed this thing called the DOC Journey, which is essentially the next edition of my book. So they should find it at the website, thedocjourney.com. Okay. Right. So my book is Back in Control, yeah. A Surgeon's Roadmap About a Chronic Pain. And between my book and the website, I probably had over 1,500 patients go to pain-free. Yeah. So I'm watching dozens and dozens of patients go to pain-free, and I'm watching patients every week being badly damaged by spine surgery. Mm-hmm. And like you, that's why I had to quit. So the book is Back in Control, A Surgeon's Roadmap Out of Chronic Pain. And it's not a self-help book. It's a framework that breaks chronic pain down into its component parts. Chronic pain is obviously complicated. And what you're trying to do is break pain into its component parts then like fighting a forest fire, you have to deal with every aspect of it at yeah. the same time. That's right. Right? Yeah. So in medicine, we're throwing random simplistic solutions at a complex problem. That's right. So between the book and the website, it's very self-directed. You don't need a lot of resources. I didn't have pain psychologists or even a pain clinic to help me. So on my own, you know, I didn't do a lot of counseling. I'm not a psychiatrist. But once people understand the concept that anxiety is the name for this, <clears throat> I think, you know, Dr. Dr. Portis's concept that anxiety really is not a word he likes. Mm. And I now agree with him is anxiety is just a sensation generated by your fight or flight response. Mm-hmm. And so as you learn how to calm down your threat physiology, anxiety drops. But what I found out eventually is that a lot of people that's doing spine surgery on actually had anxiety. 
In other words, the mental pain was much bigger than the physical pain. Of course. That's the, that's so, the insulin cortex again. That's what that is. Right. So if I gave patients a choice, like I could do surgery to get rid of your arm pain or leg pain. In other words, these are legitimate surgical problems. If I could get rid of your leg pain or arm pain with surgery tomorrow, or you'd live with this anxiety the rest of your life that will probably get worse, almost everybody wanted to get rid of the anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. So so a couple things. Um, would you guys consider putting the your meetings out as a podcast, your scientific meetings? Well, we can talk about that. I mean, I have an archives of two years worth of meetings. We can talk about that. I'd be love to. I mean, I think people we can love to hear these things. No, and we just have a lecture last week by. Do you know who Dr. Chris Germer is by chance? G E R. Oh, out of Harvard. Yeah. Um, he there's a Dr. Paul Gilbert who years ago started compassion based therapy. I think out of England. I think I do know him. And Dr. Germer gave the most incredible lecture last week on compassion based therapy. Yeah. And there's over four. Listen to this one. I just have to, can I rant for a second? Yeah. Well, you know, there's four, he, what he pointed out in this lecture that there's 4,000 research papers that document the benefits of compassion based therapy. 4,000. I never heard of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, have you heard, do you know, doctor, um, there's a doctor, Jamie Pennybaker, who's a psychologist out of Texas, who has um, done research on what's called expressive writing. And he has a book called Opening It Up by Writing It Down. And um, he and I have become, I would say friends, but pretty good acquaintances back and forth. It turns out that with obsessive thought patterns, um, he, Dr. Joshua Smythe and Dr. Daniel Wagner out of Harvard, documented years ago about these intrusive thought patterns, disturbing thought patterns, that doesn't matter what you do, you can't escape them. So he's the one that pointed out, pointed out that simply writing down these thoughts breaks up the cycle. There's over 1,250 research papers with 250 done in 2020 <laughs> alone that documents the effectiveness, effectiveness of expressive writing. I never heard of it. Hmm. So there's over 1,200 research papers on expressive writing. There's not one research paper in 60 years, as you all well know, that documents that back surgery works for back pain and is documented that disregeneration is normal. Right. I, that's so, what I always tell people when they start to – as soon as people start quoting the anatomy on their MRI, I, I know they're going down a bad path. And I just go, me I, too. I've had it for years. My disc is always right. – I live with back pain every day. I, you should see my cervical disc. They're a mess. Anyway, right. what's for lunch? <laughs> anyway, no, I know. So anyway, so what we found – so then people say, well, I have to do surgery because there's no alternatives. Well, as you pointed out, that there are plenty alternatives to solve chronic pain. So chronic pain – is a solvable problem, consistently solvable. But you learn how to calm down the nervous system, learn how to correct your body's physiology, pain goes away. The, the problem is the blind men and the elephant, right? Yep. Where, where all our different disciplines aren't communicating. And like you've never seen the expressive therapy stuff and you've, you know, you've not been exposed to that stuff and yet all doctors should have been exposed to it. And, right. and, and what's wrong with the professional societies? What, what's wrong with the American College of Orthopedics? What's right. wrong? Well, when you go to North American Spine Society, um, it's a fusion society. Yeah, they don't, they're not talking about how to avoid surgery. They're talking about just the latest technique to do surgery. It's a giant hammer. The hammer, the whole world's a nail. So I put together a major document for the Scoliosis Research Society, which is the oldest spine society in the world. And it took two years to do it. I put 50 people t- together in a work group, eight work groups, 50 people. And they were shocked to find out that there's no data that says scoliosis causes back pain. Yeah. None. Yeah. And there's no data documenting 
effective conservative care before you do this major, major risky surgery, no data. And they were shocked. Mm -hmm. So we created, it's about a hundred page book, like going through the different aspects of chronic pain or just pain in general. And when those are systematically addressed, even people with hunched over spines begin to stand up straight because your pain goes away. They quit splinting Mm -hmm. even. Mm -hmm. So we put together a, so what, let me go back to the doc journey for a second, is that all we're trying to do is take known proven medical treatments and systematically present those so everybody can understand it, both physicians, non-physicians, patients. Just taking my whole thing for years has been just implement what we know. But the data also shows there's a paper out of Baltimore in 2014 that shows that only 10% of neurosurgeons and orthopedic spine surgeons are actually addressing the known risk factors for poor outcomes before they do the surgery. Only 10%. So this is not medicine that we're practicing right now. Right. We're just not practicing medicine. Right. You're, you're, right. you're being technicians, essentially. Right. So, so I'm going to pull you now to a wholly separate domain that I find kind of interesting. And I'm dragging you sort of towards psychology and psychiatry here with this question, which is that I've been deep in mental health for many, many years, and I've noticed that one of the biggest challenges is resistance to change. And deep in the resistance to change is resistance to change who you are and your sense of the world. And that is hooked into our survival systems rather deeply. What I find interesting about your story is, to my eye, the reason you got better is rather than clinging to your identity as the swashbuckling back surgeon, you were willing to become who you needed to be to be your authentic self with a autonomic nervous system that functioned properly. You were willing to let go of things that were contributing negatively, but were also deeply embedded in your identity. Do you get what I'm saying? So I wish I was that enlightened. So the answer, <laughs> the, so the answer is you're correct. But but here's what happened is I went through an extreme burnout. I went through a suicidal depression. I actually started to cross that line. So you hit a bottom. You hit a bottom. Well, I was stripped clean. Yeah. I was completely stripped clean yeah. with no place to go. Yeah, you hit bottom. Then, That's what has sometimes happens when you hit bottom. You're either going to die or you're going to get better. <laughs> and it. I I and I have 20 medical colleagues dead from suicide. Yeah. I know way too much about this. Yeah. But what takes physicians down is called the ironic effect. Is that the more of a well-intentioned person you are, what happens is your unconscious brain says, no, you're not going to do this. So it turns out when you try to think about something positive, you're going to end up thinking more in negativity. So physicians are well-intentioned. And so the research shows that if you try to be happy, you're going to be sad. If you try to be sad, you're going to end up being buoyantly happy. If you try not to be racist, you end up being more racist. So it's a really nasty neurological trick that really trick that really affects physicians as a culture in a terrible way. So it burns out physicians, amongst other things, is flat out anxiety, but we don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. We don't want to when you talk to when I give burnout lectures and I use the word anxiety, people just want to throw me out of the room. Mm-hmm. But I went from a fearless spine surgeon to crippling anxiety. I went to psychotherapy for 13 solid years, and now I, I am in favor of psychotherapy, except this is not a psychological problem, it's physiological. So since the so the reason why people don't want to change is because survival is hardwired. I mean, we're just hardwired to survive. That's, that's right. And so you can't, it's like, do you know 
Bruce Lipton, by the way, is a friend of mine who I, I know gets a lot of criticism, but he's brilliant. And he's pointed out when you try to change the hard drive, there's nobody home. Yeah. They're just, they're just reactive circuits. Yeah. So you have to address it from a reprogramming standpoint with repetition. And that's what we're, we also know again from this Wednesday group that when you're angry and anxious, your inflammatory cytokines goes up. And then the blood supply, as you know, goes from the neocortex down to the lower parts of the brain. So you cannot honestly process information and think clearly when you're angry and upset. So you're dead on right that the number one factor that blocks the treatment of chronic disease, including chronic pain, mental and physical, is there's this unwillingness to change. Yeah. And I should be pretty critical of that, but I now know from a physiological standpoint, people actually can't. Because the, less, the brain is saying change is change means me as my sense of myself in the world in this moment will die, and right. really it's a, it's I, I sometimes conceptualize it as an avoidance of grief because there's a grief reaction when you change. Right. So the process I found effective is exactly the opposite. I mean, you know, you know about mindfulness and meditation, et cetera, yeah. which is great. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're great adjuncts. Except twenty percent of people get worse with that, so be careful. Well, it's also the spiritual bypass. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't really work. Okay, you're getting some heavy stuff here. Go ahead. Right. So my thing is, you dive right into the dirt. So yeah. actually, and Freud said this a hundred years ago or more. Whereas the essence of healing is being uncomfortable with uncomfortable emotions. You quit fighting them. Well, and I just reread uh, Viktor Frankl. He says the same right. exact thing, exact thing, which is even in misery is a, a glory of living, essentially, is what he's saying, glory of life. So, so if you stay grounded to your dark side, which really isn't a dark side, it's just a survival mechanism. I mean, if anxiety is a survival mechanism, why would you ever take it personally? It's not your identity. It's just your survival mechanism. Oh, I see. So you're saying disconnect from that physiology. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, no, not 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 suppress it, but no, see, no, what, but don't 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 tie it into your identity. Correct. Yeah, that's yeah. A, that's the first step. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. what what we're doing that all these tools that create safety yeah. get the anxiety and anger and develop what I call a working relationship with it, which starts with embracing your cynicism and keeping it there. I see what you're saying. I like that. And, and and by the way, Gary, Porges's episodes. If people want to learn about the socio emotional exchange system that we're we're dancing around here repeatedly, uh, do you have those? He'll he'll jump in with them in a minute because uh, Porges has a as a construct that shows how we do this as human beings to create safety. Sixty three right. and ninety, and you can access those anywhere you get this podcast. Okay, great. So I'm sorry, Doctor Hanscom, I've interrupted you again as I'm doing constantly here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, so my wife's been accusing me of this for years. So I'm. This is a. Uh, this is good. <laughs> I like it. Um, but the other thing I really realized about a year ago is that the number one obstacle to healing is refusal to change. Yeah, it's not necessarily refusal as much as you don't have the capacity or skills to do it. Correct. So in, or the environment hard. to do it, they put the, right. the safe frame. So remember, anger helps keep you safe. So does anxiety. Yeah. So in, in order to give up anger, you have to allow yourself to feel vulnerable. But if you look in nature, there are zero rewards for being vulnerable. You die. Mm. Right. They mm-hmm. put the reindeer, they put the elderly reindeer at the edge of the herd. You know, there's just no the chicken coop, a weak chicken gets pecked to death, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So there's no rewards in nature for being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You're also part of nature. So from a survival standpoint, there's zero rewards for being vulnerable, except the essence of human relationships is being vulnerable. Mm. So this language thing makes it really confusing for human beings to actually function because our survival mechanism says survive, which does not include vulnerability. And again, that's hardwired in. Mm-hmm. 
So one of the biggest factors in, again, the doc journey, I mean, my book, Back in Control, gives a great foundation, but the, the new doc journey really reflects the neural neuroscience through the autonomic nervous system, is that learning to be vulnerable is a learned, trained skill. It's not mind over matter. And Bruce Lipton pointed out really clearly that the unconscious brain processes about 20 to 40 million bits of information per second, and the conscious brain processes only 40. Mm-hmm. So, it, so we try this mind over matter, or when we treat the survival reaction psychologically, it's always going to be there. So the key issue is you develop a working relationship with anxiety and anger with the first step detaching from it. It's what you have. It's not who you are. So I and my patients visualize a very large thermometer on the opposite wall. They say, look, if you want to drop down anxiety, simply drop down your stress chemicals. So just visualize this thermometer and whether it's, whether it's humming, breathing techniques, mindfulness meditation, the way you decrease anxiety isn't talking about it. It's actually dropping down that stress reaction because anxiety is what you feel when you have the stress reaction. And I will tell you that a bunch of us are trying to make an effort to get anxiety out of the psychiatric diagnostic coding manual mm. because it drives all the psychiatric diagnosis because anxiety is supposed to be incredibly unpleasant. It's a survival feeling. And what happens when we treat it psychologically instead of physiologically by just calming down the nervous system, we have all sorts of addictions, all sorts of funny behaviors. All If you look at the psychiatric diagnosis, what drives it is what we call anxiety. So for our, we're actually redoing a classification system, looking at anxiety as the driving force. And then the psychological diagnosis as descriptions of behavior to cope with it. Because as you well know, when people get a quote psychological diagnosis like bipolar or whatever, that becomes part of their identity. And that's a problem. Different discussion, of course. So we feel strongly that anxiety and anger are the same thing. You know, the antidote to anxiety is control or solution to anxiety is control. When you lose control, your body kicks in more of a fight or flight response and you become angry. It's the same thing. Well, perhaps you're not getting enough sleep, restless legs, small changes can make a difference. Uh, Marie started Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's an organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement, includes seven unique forms of magnesium. Marie left it with a five-star review saying, quote, I'd give this 100 stars if I could. Within one month of use, I went from daily struggles with restless legs, constipation, and poor sleep to no struggles with any of that. I know it sounds dramatic and far-fetched, but it is true. Emory isn't the only one getting better sleep after taking Magnesium Breakthrough. I think a lot of people know that magnesium can help with sleep. Another testimonial, Amanda, who says, I fall asleep much faster and stay asleep. Now, until normal waking hours, you have a customer for life. Cross says, on the first night of taking Magnesium Breakthrough, my deep sleep jumped up to two hours, which has been the highest reading so far from my Aura Ring. If you're having trouble falling asleep or staying asleep, an easy thing you could do is start getting enough magnesium. But don't run to the store and buy the first magnesium supplement you find. They usually typically have the two cheapest synthetic forms of magnesium. And since they're not full spectrum, they may not fix that deficiency or help you sleep better. There are actually seven unique forms of magnesium, and you should get all of them if you want to experience sleep-enhancing effects. So Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers provides that. Simply take two capsules before you go to bed, and you'll be amazed how much better you sleep and how much more you feel rested when you wake up the next day. For an exclusive offer for our listeners, go to magbreakthrough.com slash Drew. Use the code Dr. Drew 10 to save 10% when you buy Magnesium Breakthrough. 
And one more thing, for a limited time, Bioptimizers is giving away free bottles of their best-selling products, Pre-3OM and Massozymes, with select purchases only while supplies last. So hurry and order now if you want to get those three gifts. I take Pre-3OM on a regular basis. Go to magbreakthrough.com slash Drew to get your exclusive 10% discount plus the chance to get more than $50 worth of supplements for free. Every 60 seconds, not one, but two children are trafficked. And every 30 seconds, one is forced into exploitation for the purpose of heinous acts. Human trafficking is happening in your own backyard. It is happening to your neighbors. Many whom we see every day in our own communities hidden in plain sight. You know, there's kids out there that are being bought and sold 20 times a day. We must bring the child back to the center of our care and concern. Today, we launch Goya Cares. Goya Cares is committed to supporting victims and overcomers of trafficking and abuse to recover, restore, reconnect, and to shine the light that will block traffic. This is where we become the light. God saved me. I believe that I was called to this. Perhaps he's calling you to block traffic. Join Goya Cares and visit blocktraffic.org. Would a better um, – anxiety to me is a very complicated landscape and I, and I agree with you. It needs much better, more accurate nomenclature associated with it. But I wonder if you're really talking about dysregulation, affect, affect dysregulation. And might that be a more better, a more accurate global term for this, what you're talking about? Right. But, uh, absolutely. I think – yeah, no, absolutely. That's a great term because – I mean, again, when people look at anxiety, they still tend to think anxiety is a psychological construct, correct? It's a survival mechanism. You know, it's, I've right? been with so many people with anxiety, and it, 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 it's so clear to me that it's many, many, many different things. It's experienced in lots of different ways by lots of different people, and right. it probably has multiple components to it. But, but the thing that's driving something – I would call anxiety is the dysregulation. Affect is dangerous. Affect is too prolonged. Affect is too intense. Affect is unable to be managed. And then anxiety ensues. <laughs> right. So. Right. Well, that, that gets into the neuro, neuroscience of the brain because what happens, as you know, chronic pain is a neurological disorder. We know between six to 12 months that these pain circuits flat out get memorized. Um, we all know about phantom limb pain. Mm-hmm. And I call it phantom brain pain. It's mm. these obsessive thought patterns that keep spinning I, away. You're going to love the stuff on the insular cortex. It's all happening there. Yeah. It's all yeah, going it's all on there. there. <laughs> right. So here's my thing. So going back to my original thing about being a spine surgeon. So I'm excited to talk to you because it's nice talking to somebody who not only understands what I'm saying, but probably understands it better. But I understand it. Some, I, I don't understand it better. I understand it from my perspective. perspective. Experience. Yeah, yeah. Well, but I mean, the problem is this is what medicine. This is what medicine has to figure out quickly because we're really harming a society by not addressing this correctly. I know. Uh, listen, it was listen. It was, the, the A score didn't come on until the late nineteen nineties. I've been screaming right. about that for thirty, twenty years before that. I was like, what? What do we? What do you mean? Childhood experiences have nothing to do with what we're seeing here. And right. and, and we went through some horrible stuff in the sixties, seventies, and eighties with what ha- was happening to kids. So right. we're left. Talk about a pandemic. We've got a pandemic of adverse childhood experiences now. So the thing with this dynamic healing movement is try to create safety versus threat. And I don't know, it probably will not change in my lifetime, but you can't have doctors not talking to their patients. It makes no mm-hmm. sense. Because mm-hmm. if you can't feel safe with your doctor, who can you feel safe with? 
And it's really gone the other direction is that not only do people not feel safe for the doctor, they actually feel threatened. Yeah. Yeah. And so where do you, so there's not a lot of places in life that you can go, can go to feel really safe and the doctor's office used to be one of those places, and that just isn't true anymore. You know, I used to, I, uh, you know, tra- trauma creates distrust, dysregulation, and inability to go back into the frame of closeness because they expect trauma there, and they're, right. and they're unregulated and stuff. And so I used to conceive of my one of my primary functions in dealing addicts and alcoholics who, if they were bad enough addict or alcoholic that they needed to see me, there was a 100% probability of severe adverse childhood experiences. Right. My, I always saw one of my jobs was just to get them to understand that they could be safe in the frame with the caretaker. That's it. Right. Just sit here with me and be and be okay. And that I can experience them on a deep level, which is sort of a, a next level to all this, which is really be listening with your whole body, not just with your ears, and to reflect back to the patient so you can literally metabolize and digest some of what's going on with them. So bigger yeah. topic, bigger I, topic. I, I, yeah, no, I love what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm excited about what you're saying because it um, – so anyway, that's my um, – Energy is just trying to get these concepts out into the well, world, and I'm still trying to stop bad spine surgery. Well, I mean, I, I, yeah, so I'm with you, and, and I'm, I'm running out of time. But I, I almost wanted to go through, you know, spondylolisthesis, spinal stenosis, disc disease, so people even understand those terms. I, right. I, I mean, essentially, it's slippage of the spine, discs that rupture, and uh, curvatures and things. All normal. All are normal part of being an upright human being, uh, upright primate. Uh, and we pathologize it massively because people have pain in those areas, but the pain is probably generated from something different than the spine. Well, but again, the better term, as you know, whether scoliosis or disc degeneration or whatever, is just simply a normally aging spine. Right, right, right. And so the word disease, of course, doesn't elicit comfort by any means. Um, so, yeah, so the book, Do You Really Need Spine Surgery, breaks the decision-making down into the, st- the anatomy and the state of the nervous system, gives you four quadrants, is easily able to put yourself in four quadrants. There's a chapter on how to self-assess the state of your nervous system. And it's not just a psychological test. There is, you know, recent trauma in your family. Are you sleeping, et cetera? <clears throat> All those things are just measurements of how hyperactive your nervous system is or isn't. So the book, so most people probably, 80% of people that read the book say, look, don't want to do this. Or they go through the process that I outlined in the DOC journey and they just do fine. So one thing that has happened is that the book does create accountability of the surgeons to the patients and also to the internists, et cetera. But also surgeons always have the, have the idea, well, we're the last resort. There's no alternatives. That, as you well know, is not true. There's right. huge alternatives that are extremely effective but to take an operation like spine fusions for back pain with a success rate of 22%, that is not that is not an alternative. And, and let me say that we're really talking about lumbar spine, right? Because cervical right. is some – I'm going to ask you a spine surgeon question. My experience with cervical spine is, is quite different than lumbar spine. Is that accurate? Let's use the word axial pain. So for, yeah, for myelopathy or radiculopathy, same thing. But for neck pain, yeah. it's the same thing. Cervical spondylosis does not cause neck pain. Yeah. So, yeah, neck pain, again, muscular, myofascial, inflamed, whatever it is. So, And we also know it doesn't matter, even if the original source is structural, there's a paper out of Chicago by Hashmi that points out within 6 to 12 months, and they've done this on MRI scans, shows that the pain goes from the nociceptive pain centers to the emotional centers 100% of the time. Uh, so you have the same pain but a different driver. Right. Um, so, and then uh, the same lab out of Chicago is defined chronic pain is an embedded memory. 
that gets connected with more and more life events and the memory cannot be erased. Interesting. So chronic pain is a neurological phenomenon. It oh, is not sure. structural. For sure. And, and it's interesting that they categorize it as a, a memory. I'm not sure it's a hippocampus mediated thing, but it does. it is a repeatedly reconstructed unit that affects subjectivity for sure. So that's interesting. Um, I'm going to have to wrap this up. I'm really tight on time. I, I think we could do another hour pretty easily. Right. Uh, and uh, I appreciate you swinging by here. The website is thedocjourney.com. The book is – which book – they should read both books. Let's be fair. Well, well, if they're having spine issues, I think that the spine surgery book makes a lot of sense. Do you really need spine surgery? But remember that back in control is for migraines, irritable bowel, tinnitus, is for over th- – autoimmune disorders. So it's not just back pain for the back of control. It's for every chronic inflammatory and, disease. And we didn't even address a, a major component of all of this, which is sleep right. uh, and its effect on inflammation. And it's Correct. affected by all these things we're talking about. And, and sometimes I think in certain patients, it's the primary mediator of all the issues that they're dealing with. If you can correct the sleep, you can kind of get a lot of these symptoms under control, or at least they become more manageable. Right. And, and it's you, interesting. It's interesting that you say that because when I discovered this myself in my own journey and with all my patients right now, nothing happens until they're sleeping. Period. Yeah. 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 Sleep, right. sleep is number one. So, yeah, I'd love to discuss a healing journey with you because there is a very definite sequence that has to take place. And there's a paper up Israel that shows lack of sleep actually causes chronic pain. I'm sure. It's it, way- I'm sure. It's, it's almost impossible. It's also integrated together. It's almost to tell, you know, chicken or egg. Right. But, but if you don't address sleep or you don't correct sleep, you're, you're not going to get very far because it's a primary issue or common right. issue. All right. We're going to have to wrap it up. Gary, thank you for bringing Dr. Hanscom around. We want to do another show with him on the healing part of this. So we'll have to set up another 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 time where we can go through this in more detail and what people can do. But they should right now just go read the book or go to the docjourney.com where you can find all this information. And uh, Dr. Hanscom, anything else before we wrap this up? Well, I'm excited to talk to you and I'm I'm actually learning a bit also. I will actually, I think I have your email. I'll put you on this um, Please. scientific scientific group that we have. That'd be um, great. And, and and you know Steve Porter's correct. I do know him well. I know Sue also. Yeah, it's a great it's a great interact, great time to interact with them for an hour. So we just do one hour. That's it. We're yep. very punctual on time. And so yeah, we'd love to have you on board. Fantastic. Your uh, your email is sitting in Dr. Hanscom's inbox as well as a link to the book. Okay, perfect. Thank Dr. Hanscom and uh, for the rest of you. We'll see you soon. Thank you. All right. Well done. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com.